Just a friendly reminder that the opinions expressed on this show are not worth a Canadian penny, so disregard anything you hear that might get anyone in trouble. And despite some of the great ideas you may hear, don't try them at home. Go to friend's house instead. And welcome to Slam Fire Radio. This is episode 412 for July 8th, 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Adriel. I'm Mo. And I'm Kyle. Or Hef, as it says on your uh, your little yeah. labeling thing there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Finally doing a show from home. Yes. Yes. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good show. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Why don't we... Uh, and uh, Trevor and Kelly are... Uh, uh touring the country now that the covid uh, restrictions are up they're uh they're finally doing the tour of the uh, the wine country in in Canada they're out in BC and uh drinking wine and uh Trevor's in the uh New Brunswick wine country um uh, not, I don't know where I'm going with this New Brunswick has a wine country <laughs> uh it seems like no, moonshine country they definitely have yeah. moonshine country there you go. I know I've been there yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know about a wine country, moonshine, apple, apple moonshine country. They might call it wine. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Toilet wine. And yeah. That kind oh. of <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that, <laughs> what we did with guns this week is brought to you by the Calgary Shooting Center. Canada's premier firearms retailer. Right now they have limited edition Tika Western Superlight ODG six rifles. They've got 30 of them. Uh, these are lightweight Tikas. They're the, like the style you'd take sheep hunting. They got like a, a muzzle brake built into the barrel and that kind of thing. Yeah. So um, if you're looking at hiking or if you just like don't want the weight, you're just a wimp. You just want like, give me the lightest white rifle possible. Go check those out at the Calgary Shooting Center. Uh, I've got a whole pile of stuff, but uh, why don't we start tonight with uh, with Mo? Okay. Uh, so I had another match in another Ipsic match in Quebec last Saturday, uh, six stages. It, uh, it went well, really well. I feel like I'm making progress. So, uh, it was positive. Uh, one of the stages had a, uh, an interesting low port, which was more like a doggy door. And at first, <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I'm like, wow, I don't think I even want to be able to get that low. Cause I have like the flexibility of a corpse, but I was uh, I managed to pull it off and it was fun. Uh, I stuck around for the the teardown after. I ended up uh, one another of the stages was uh, they had um, three three barrels spread out and keep in mind that it gets all like lateral movement right mm-hmm. and uh, you had to place your your mags on the barrels and you're you're only taking from the barrel so you had to kind of like figure out where to where to put them based on what mm-hmm. you were going to shoot. And then, uh, so I have, uh, I, I usually just bring five mags because I only have like five uh, pouches for the belt. So mm-hmm. I ended up, I ended up having anxiety about the mags. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to order another. So I ended up ordering another mag, another pouch. So I have, I put it on my belt for, for the, uh, for the next match. Um, I ended up registering for a couple of more matches in, uh, in Ontario the weekend, uh, the weekend after. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So it'll be the first time I actually shoot like back to back. It'll so it'll be one day on the Saturday and then one on the on the Sunday. Uh, they're both about a couple hours drive away. Um, I have another match this Saturday again in in Quebec. Another Ipsic match, um, and then I also registered for something called a Maple Seed. A try to cure. I'm familiar with those, right? Uh, so that'll yeah, be. I've done one or two. Yeah, one or two. <laughs> so that's going to be in uh, in August in Ontario. So nice. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that, and it'll be interesting too because I have a Nipsic match on the Saturday, and then the Maple Seed will be on the on the Sunday. I thought it was at like 9 a.m., but it starts at 7:30. So uh-huh. that, that's going to be a that's going to be a fun morning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You're gonna be I, all I, sore I, from your from your Ipsic match, yeah. and then they're really gonna put you through the paces at the yeah. maple seed. <laughs> I, I told Kelly if I fall asleep on my match, she can kick me. So, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what kind of rifle are you taking out for that one? Uh, that's a good question because I have a basic uh, Ruger 10-22, like with no scope on it. And I mean, like the very basic entry level one, mm-hmm. uh, which is a semi, right? And then I also have a, a CZ. What is it called? Uh, Four fifty five. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the bolt, and that one I have yeah. a, a scope on. So I may actually use that because I do like the scope on it, and I'm comfortable shooting it. So uh, I know you guys encourage like semis, but. I uh, should be okay with it. If you're fast on the bolt, the, the trouble with a bolt is that you lose your um, natural point of aim every time you run the bolt. Mm. Uh, so uh, because you got to have to, like, let's say you're prone, you got to take your right arm off and run the bolt and then put it down again. Uh, if you're quick on it, it's fine. Like I, I, I did mine with uh, with a Norinco bolt and uh, and it was fine. Semis are easier, but... Okay, so maybe too. maybe I'll maybe I'll put a scope on the other one then. Like a, like a put cheap. a cheap scope on it. Yeah, yeah. put a put a cheap uh, put a two to seven or a, or a three to nine or something like that on there. You don't need okay. much. Like I see a lot of guys showing up with uh, like six to twenty fours, and it's like put put it at the minimum. <laughs> it's like you don't need to see the bugs on the paper. Just the square is fine. Most um, in the states they recommend just four X. So you don't you don't need a whole ton of magnification for it. But like some magnification is better than uh, uh, just irons. Okay, so that's what yeah. I'll do then. Cool. Uh, then my last thing was I took your I took your advice and I ended up contacting Dylan for the um, ring, ring indexer, and uh, they mm-hmm. they answered right away. Like their warranty department answered, I think next day, and so it's apparently on the way. Now it's coming from the U.S., so who knows how long it's going to take? <laughs> but at least I'm getting it. And in the meantime, I ended up biting the bullet and and ordering a. Uh, um, a thousand rounds of nine mil because just to get me through the next mm-hmm. you know three four weekends right so i'm, I'm definitely gonna need it yeah yeah and, dylan's lifetime warranty is fantastic like i got a i got a clapped out uh square deal and like slowly part by part and just be like i need this part and I need this part and they're like okay just tell us all the parts you need because like it sounds really? like an older one i'm like okay i took a picture of it and they're like okay and they sent me like oh, all for free they just sent me all these parts that i needed like there's there's there there's few companies out there that have like a true lifetime warranty and but Dylan's yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> Good. Yeah, I know it worked out, so I was happy about that. Awesome. Um I think that's really that's really it for me. How about you, Kyle? Oh, I got out to the range there Sunday, get my rifle dialed in for the weekend. Um it was an interesting trip. Basically it was a sight in and get out of there. Because well, I don't like people handling guns while I'm downstairs downrange, 
facing targets. Ooh. So, yeah. Mm. Was this at a range or was this a... Oh, it was nowhere? at a range. Mm. Uh, I have to drive an hour to go shoot a rifle at a range now, but yeah, no, it was at a range and... Yeah, I'm not a fan, but it is a good range. Just people hmm. still like to handle firearms when people are downrange. And it's a range where it's unsupervised. So. Did you call them out on it? I did. I mentioned, hey, yeah. man, you might, oh, it's unloaded. Don't care. Don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, not, I think a lot of people nice just need about to learn it. The like, rules. hey, yeah, like, yeah. hey, man, like downrange, do you mind not handling your gun while I'm down there? And yeah, it's just dismi- dismissive attitudes. Like, well, it's unloaded. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Like, it does matter, it, but it matters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it matters. Uh, but that aside, loaded up some ammo, did some dry fire. Like I said, just getting prepped for the weekend. Got the trailer at the house. Lots of prep for the weekend. <laughs> the first big match in probably almost two years now for me because I didn't do Battle mm-hmm. of Alberta last year, so. It'll be it'll be good. I'm looking forward to it. Get a little taste of the OG days. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a full taste of it because no rules, no restrictions, no yeah. restrictions. Yeah, back to normal. Looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, uh, and then yeah, just change after this weekend. I'll have to change pace because shooting sporting clays next weekend. So mm. yeah. yeah, that's about awesome. it for me, Adriel. Oh, I did a couple things. Uh, let me get my show my background. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, I've done a couple things recently. One of them was let's see. Let me just let me just start pulling some guns out here. Uh, I got this out, guy out to the range. This is a, a Saloon Arms S211. I talked about this lot on the last show, but uh, I didn't show a video. And it's a uh, it's tiny. It's a tiny little over under yeah. shotgun. Yeah. Um, and it is, um, terrible to shoot. Absolutely terrible. (laughs) (laughs) There's no good way to shoot it. Okay. Yeah. You can use the stock, but the (laughs) stock itself is terrible. You can see how small it is. Uh, it it looks the right shape, but it's, it's much smaller than a regular butt pad. Uh, and it's a very light gun. And if you shoot slugs or something out of it, Oh, it just does not feel good. So you could try offhand. You can try, uh, uh, I tried one-handed, I tried a two-handed, like a pistol grip kind of a thing. Uh, neither of those really work well because, well, it's a, it's a straight stock, right? So what happens is it slips in your hands and you smoke your fingers on the uh, on the trigger guard there. Uh, so that doesn't really work. Uh, from the hip, yeah. Yeah, it shoots well from the hip. Uh, and then if you want a little bit of aim, <laughs> holding it like offhand out here, that works. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not great. And it, like the recoil on it is... Uh, is enough because it's like it's four something pounds and it's a it's a shotgun right it's it, yeah. it's putting out some lead so not fun to shoot mm. novelty now, gun very much so yeah now this guy uh this was a little bit easier to shoot uh, even with there there's a little stubby stock for it as well um and this is like a mare's leg kind of a kind of a thing and uh uh, even even with the stubby stock, still shootable. St- you could still one hand it because 38 special or 357 magnum is not nearly what a 12 gauge is, and uh, very fun to shoot, very easy with this full stock on it. It's uh, comically short <laughs> in terms of the barrel. <laughs> That's uh, a Rossi. Still- yes, this is a uh, this is a Rossi. Yep, and okay. uh, uh, yeah, fun little gun. 
fun little gun. It didn't like my, uh, I have some 38 specials with the bullet, like basically all the way in the case. I didn't like feeding those, but I can't imagine any lever would. And it, it ran the 357 or anything with a, a round nose on it. Just fine. Fun gun. Lots of fun. Nice. Cheap too, because like 38, 38 specials, like super cheap, right? And then another review I'm working on is RDB. Caltech RDB. This is uh an, an RDB with a, a magnifier on it. It's got an Aimpoint Pro on there. It's got uh, aftermarket end on there. And that aftermarket end uh, really helps with uh, when this barrel starts to heat up. So uh, with just the regular end on there, barrel starts heating up. I start getting like terrible accuracy with it uh, because of the, the way it connects with the uh, stock. But uh, with this one, not so bad. So working on that right now. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. The show and tell continues. Uh, is anything off? How about now? <laughs> yeah. So this is a Ruger 1022. Uh, it's got one of the Spectre Ballistics mag wells in there, and what that does, I love how this works. It's just such a such a unique thing to do. Uh, it's just a little insert, and you uh, you pop that guy in there. And uh, it's got a little tab on the side there for releasing the mag. And then you can run 597 mags in it. Now, hmm. 597 mags vary in quality. Uh, these, uh, these Pro Mag ones are, uh, uh, they need a little bit of working in before they're, they're 100% reliable. But uh, this one's getting better. I think you just need to run like a lot of ammo through it. Uh, the mag well itself, like any insert, doesn't move. And it's actually very easy to use. It's got like a little release on the side there. So you can quickly pop out the mags um and it's pretty ergonomic and how, how it does it not quite like not as as, as much as that is but uh, <laughs> but still pretty still pretty good so that's interesting i'm working on that uh okay that's i think that's all of my uh my stuff i wanted to show oh no i got i haven't had one of these i finally decided to get one uh, uh. a little like bench block yeah for yeah. uh knocking out pins. I typically use like a two by four with a hole drilled through it. Uh, but <laughs> this is more convenient. I don't have to go into yeah. my backyard or something like that. I can yeah. do this like anywhere I want to or, or, instead, or put holes on my desk. Yeah. If anyone's seen any videos of mine and I have to do like a desktop view, it's like the desk looks nasty because I'm always doing gunsmithing on it. <laughs> but, uh, but now I can use that. I do have lock grips. I'm not going to show them today because all my stuff zipped up and, and ready to rock and roll for uh, for three gun match. So I won't uh, I won't pull those out. But I also did get the uh, the palm swell lock grips for the uh, CZ Shadow Two, uh, and uh, they're good. They're good grips. Yeah, that, that's what I have too. I would say like they're almost a little bit too grippy in some ways. Um, I was uh, I was testing it out. Uh, well, I went to the range a, a couple days ago, and a couple of times I gr- I. I had like a bad grab on the uh, on the the grip, and uh, I had to like it wasn't just an easy like slip it into place. You had to actually let go of the spot that was it was holding on because those mm. those bogey grips are are so grippy on there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, I I got some of those. Um, I got a shipping notice today. I don't know what it is. There's a couple of companies that are like sending me guns, and I've bought some stuff, so I have no idea. I hope it's not a spring. Last time this happened, I got a, I got a <laughs> oh, slip yeah, in the mail. Right. I like excitedly went down to the mail yeah. to the 
Canada Post and like you can't get it today. I'm like, oh, I'll go to the next day. Spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you Let made tell. me sign for this. <laughs> Dump it. Uh, hopefully it's a gun. Hopefully, hopefully it's yeah. uh, hopefully it's something weird. And uh, I'm I'm gonna try I'm gonna try it again tonight. I'm gonna try going when I'm not supposed to, even when yeah. it says go the next day. I'm I'm gonna wait yeah. until later tonight. I always yeah. chance it. Oh, you always. Yeah. Ch- I'm gonna chance it. I'm gonna chance it. Yeah. I have to go shopping for groceries and stuff, anyways. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna head out uh, and uh, and check that out. Um, got a three gun match coming up this weekend. The uh, Battle of Alberta. That's at Chaz. It's uh, Saturday Sunday. I'm gonna be there for Friday to uh, help set up uh, and uh, and that kind of thing. So I had to do a couple things to prep for it. That's primarily what I've been so busy with uh, this week is uh, is trying to get prepped for it. Um, because I've, I don't think I've put much to the last minute, but a couple of things like are, would have really screwed me. One was like my van. Cause I was going to camp van camp, uh, and the temperatures this weekend were well, right now. It's like, it's 31, it's six o'clock PM and it's still 31 mm-hmm. here. Uh, if I got to sleep in a hot van, uh, it's going to kill me. So, uh, <laughs> I, I just did this last <laughs> night. I got mosquito screen and I got a sewing machine and I got Velcro and I got Velcro inserts that go over my windows now for the van. So I could leave the, the windows open and the mosquitoes aren't going to come in and eat me alive. Nice. So mm, I got that. Go. I got some, yeah, it's, this is only like interesting to me. I don't think anyone who's, who's listening to a gun <laughs> podcast wants to hear about my trials and tribulations of living in a van down by the river, but uh, I'm going to be in that life. van this weekend, next weekend and the weekend after. So wow. I need it. Good. It's, it's got to work. Um, the other thing I did was uh, I went to the range two days ago uh, to do some. So I, I wanted to, uh, like uh, Hef was mentioning there, sighting my rifle. I wanted my rifle like bang on. Uh, I wanted to try the lock grips. I wasn't going to, I didn't think anything. I was going to see anything interesting about them, but I, I did grip it really well when it comes out of the holster. Uh, and then I, I was also uh, shooting with uh, Ian Runkle from uh, Runkle of the Bailey. So uh, I was, uh, nice. uh, this is, this, this is going to be his first three gun match battle of Alberta. <laughs> it's like the biggest match you could go to. And that's his first one that he's going to go to. So, nice. uh, nice. I set him up with a, a belt and mag pouches and all this stuff. And we we're do, going through some drills just to try to get him to, uh, uh, a little bit of comfort and familiarity with some of the, uh, uh, rules of command and, uh, and what's going to happen so that he's a little bit more comfortable with his, uh, his first match, <laughs> a big two day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um yeah, yeah, it's it's I'm I'm actually happy that he's going to be out there cuz it's uh it's going to be a good time. And I also had my uh oldest son out there and we were practicing some pistol stuff. So draws, uh reloads from pouches, uh transitions uh on some close targets and uh it was a lot of fun. He had a lot of fun too. He really liked it. He liked um going on the timer because like i've, I've yeah. had him out shooting pistols before and it's like, "Eh, you know, I can get like three mags out of him." He's like, "I'm good." And then as soon as I did, as soon as we started doing transitions and I put a timer on him, shooter, are you ready? Stand by beep. And then he's like, how much was that? What was that time? How much was that? Well, how much are you doing it in? <laughs> yeah, Chase yeah, the timer. He was all over it. Yeah. He, and then he was like reloading his mags on his own, like popping him his pouch. Yeah. He's doing all his work. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. So uh, nice. food for thought. If you've got kids and you want to like get him into something like it's not all kids are competitive. Some, some of them would like hate that, but uh mm-hmm. He, he really responded to it. Um, and I think, oh yeah. So three gun match this weekend, weekend after I'm going down to Lethbridge and, uh, and doing a couple maple seeds down there. So 
Uh, that's also why the van needs to be the van needs to work. It needs to be squared away. Yeah, mm. my crappy van. I'm having so much. <laughs> I'm having so much fun with like completely rednecking this thing and like putting these Velcro straight, like just messing it up <laughs> because uh, it it doesn't met the value doesn't matter. I'm gonna do this again if, if the, yeah. once this thing's dead and it'll die. I don't know a year yeah. or two or maybe this year. I don't really care. I'm going to go out and spend another four grand and get another crappy Dodge Caravan to do this for because uh, having like a, a dedicated range battle van with like unlimited storage is so nice. So nice compared to like driving a nice car down a gravel road and getting it all <laughs> scratched up and getting it muddy inside because the range was muddy. Like uh, it's nice to have people yeah. you don't care about for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think that is it for, uh, for my week. It's pretty three, busy. Yeah. Three grand question for you guys. Is mm-hmm. there like an orientation for people that want to get into it? Like is, is a black badge required or can anyone? It depends on the three gun club. So three gun in, in Canada is mostly outlaw, which means that each range has its own specific rules. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of them are go- either going to be using, uh, uh, Ipsic rules, uh, rule set, uh, MSIC multi-gun or if they're going to be using like three gun nation. Um, so you need to know the rules of the one you're going to um, in terms of like orientation for a new person. There's no course really. Um, you kind of like just tell the RO I'm new and they'll be like, okay. And they, they go from RO mode. Well, still RO mode, but they'll go to like straight up coaching you through the the stage. Yeah. Okay, okay, now yeah, do this. So yeah. okay. Now do that. Now watch your 90 doing this thing and they'll just tell you what to do as you go through. Okay. So they kind of yeah. get some direction from that. So somebody that walks in and says, you know, first time here doing a, a three gun match, right? Yeah. Because their, their goal is to ensure you shoot it safely and ensure you have a good time. So they, yeah. they, they'll basically tell you exactly what to do. Okay. Yeah. Unless you tell them not to. Nah. Yeah. Like, I like to live. Shut up. It's like, fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> getting ready yeah. for the dq <laughs> I, was just, I, was, I was just i was just curious yeah yeah no it's, it's a little ranges, bit different some, mm-hmm. some ranges do i think there's a range down calgary area that does you have to take their kind of course thing or something to mm-hmm. to do that but yeah as a general rule no and like adriel said encourage everybody if it's your first time let everybody know because everybody is going to give you so much help and assistance it's yeah yeah. 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 I think some, some ranges even require you to have a black badge to shoot three gun. I haven't heard that one before. I have. Okay. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's up to the, uh, what's specific to the range, then how they kind of police yeah. things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. What they're, what they're comfortable with. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Upcoming events. Upcoming events is sponsored by Telos Alpha. Telos Alpha is a Canadian digital agency that works exclusively in the firearms vertical. If you need a new website or if you want to start taking payments online or if your old website is like really, really crappy and you want something that's like newer and the search works and the categorization isn't stupid, contact telosalpha.com and they'll hook you up. Uh, I am so excited that we have events. It's been so long where it's like, ah, there's no events. Yeah. Or maybe there's one, but it's like, it's two months from now. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe yeah. not. Probably won't. We actually have events in yeah, our events nice. calendar. And people are actually emailing us about events. Oh, Yay. We're back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good. Uh, so I'm going to do like the next 30 days of Maple Seed. Uh, Maple Seed Lethbridge, July 17th and 18th. So those are both still available and there are spots there. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to be running it, so that's going to be a good one. Uh, and then Stittsville, 
Uh, that's probably someone who's not very committed to the show. That's that's going to be running that one, but uh, that'll be on July eighteenth. Uh, <laughs> too much, too much. You think so? No, it's not. I hope just I hope enough. Not. Just, just enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Sherwood Park will be on uh, July twenty fifth. So those all have spots on them. Uh, if you go to mapleseedrifleman.com and go to the events area, there's uh, there's lots of events that we're opening up. Uh, that you will be able to uh, check out and see uh, some different maple seed events. Next it's one here nice, is it's a very nice mm-hmm. website too. It was, it's easy enough to use. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one is Rimfire Race Guns. Uh, this is a match in partnership with CRPS. It's happening in Lloyd Minster on July seventeenth. That's from Mike H, who's a listener and is probably listening right now. So if you want to go uh, shoot your Rimfire uh, rifle or pistol very fast. Uh, check that out. It's Steel Challenge, but for Rimfire hmm. and with rifles. So check that out. <laughs> uh, there's also going to be some service rifle, uh, service pistol matches, rather, at Guelph Rod and Gun Club. That'll be July 17th and August 8, uh, 28th. Details are on CGN and register on Practice Score. That's from Chris W. And there's also going to be the Bill Bramley Challenge Sporting Clay match at Wapiti Shooting Club. Shooters Club in Grand Prairie, July 16th to 18th. Uh, the prelim will be on Friday, and the main event will be Saturday, Sunday. Is that a register and practice score kind of a thing? Uh, no, they register CNSCA or just show up and register. It's a shotgun thing, right? So I yeah. assume there's like carrier pigeons or uh, uh, formal <laughs> like announcements or some other weird... No? Yeah, <laughs> no. I I have conversations with them at the range all the time, even on the scoring system, and they are unfortunately a little Stone Age on their stuff. They'll catch up. I mean, like we've like Chaz Three Gun has only been on practice score for three years, maybe. Before that, it was all printed, and like no pre-register, like stuff changes quickly, right? When uh, when you get uh, someone who's like a decent admin in there, and then they start like. Updating things, it uh, it happens yeah. quick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next, we have <laughs> some news. I have one news item, and it's not a news item, but I just think it's hilarious. So uh, I'm going to share it. Uh, let me share the screen. It's that one. Uh, this one is uh, lawyers for Sandy Hook say that Remington, uh, manufacturer of the AR-15 style uh, rifle used in the 2020 2012 school shooting, including uh, included in its documents tens of thousands of irrelevant images some of which were random cartoons so this is this is one of those cases where uh uh victims or or victims relatives try to try to get some money and they sue the original the manufacturer of the rifle uh, this is like a spoons make me fat kind of an argument mm-hmm. anyways uh i i, <laughs> I got to show some of these because well, at least this one, uh, the the, uh, the very relevant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! Could you? This is a legal document. This is in the court records now wow. for this big lawsuit. <laughs> oh, they've got that man. kind of nonsense going on in this uh, in this wow. legal case. Wow. Oh, that is Anyways. awesome! <laughs> <laughs> I had to show it. I had to show it. So funny. Such a. Such a funny, uh, funny little thing. All right. Uh, let's get into new gun stuff. New gun stuff is brought to you by Bolt Action Coffee. Uh, Sci-Fi Radio is now a brand ambassador for Bolt Action Coffee. Their coffee is roasted in small batches. And it's quite honestly some of the best co- coffee you can get your hands on. Send it to your house by going to boltaction.com, boltactioncoffee.com, discount code SLAMFIRE. 
Whew. All right, let's uh, let's go through some of these. Uh, the first one here. So Spectre Ballistics has this C seventy one receiver, which uh, I love the name. Uh, they've got some discounted ones. There's some blems and some factory seconds and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's a ten twenty two receiver. And let me share my screen and I'll show you what it looks like. Top rail, yada, yada, yada. Uh, these take Ruger 1022 mags or the Tough 22 mags. So if you want to run uh, without a mag adapter, uh, Tough 22 mags straight in a rifle. Uh, they do have some C71 uh, versions here. And they're discounted because of some cosmetic issues. So if you want to get some nice. cheap, uh, that is an option. Uh, another thing, uh, it seems this week I'm, I'm just following everything that's shiny and, <laughs> and, uh, and just interesting to me, but, uh, Frontier Firearms has this cute little key ring. It's a German reduction, uh, HDR 24, which is like their stick hand grenade. Mm-hmm. So if you want, uh, if you want a key ring with a stick hand grenade on it, uh, they've got one to hook you up. Uh, and then Rangeview Sports has a display model Korth NXS revolver. And the NXS should give you an idea about what this thing's going to be all about because uh, it's uh, it's very shiny and uh, and very red. Mm, fancy. It's three fifty seven revolver. That fifty six hundred bucks. <laughs> but it's discounted. It used to be sixty six hundred. Now it's yeah. fifty six hundred. Yeah. It's red. It's cool looking. Oh, it's fancy. Mm-hmm. Moon blocks and all sorts of other weird stuff wow. on there. I don't know too much about Wheelie Go Gats. All I know is that one looks cool. It does. And then uh, Wanstalls has a sale on used firearms. So uh, they've got a couple things that are on sale here, but I just wanted to point out a couple that I think are particularly good deals. This MP22, you just don't see a lot of them. Uh, right now, There, it seems like we're, we're short of them. That's a decent price on them, $300 for an MP22 with wood grips on it. Mm-hmm. I believe it's used. They've got a Stair L1 Steyr. 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 L9A1. So if you like, you know, futuristic handguns that uh, that look like they're from Battlestar Galactica or something like that, they've got one for 500 bucks, which again, I think that's used pricing on there. They go to Ruger Gunsight Scout with a whole pile of mags and stuff coming with it. Mm. There's a Stoger M3500 for 500 bucks on here, which is a very good deal on a three and a half inch chambered shotgun. Semi-automatic. Yeah, that's, mm. that is a fantastic price. Uh, they got a Ruger 1022 with a Bushnell scope on it, Woodstock, 300 bucks. That's pretty good. Uh, Savage Model 42 for 400, Savage Mark II for 200. Yeah, there's definitely some decently priced stuff on here, um, which mm-hmm. I was looking at that L9A1 just because it's, uh, it's so weird, but uh, I don't know if I'll get it or not. They have a Ruger new model single six, which again, I don't know very much about Wheelie Go Gats, but it's 400 bucks. So I don't know. That seems okay ish, I guess. If you want to, you know, pretend you're from the Wild West. Mm-hmm. There we go. And the Tommy gun. The Tommy gun. Where I didn't see. Oh, there we go. They got the Tommy gun BB gun. Yeah. The oh, BB Legends. guns. Yeah. Yeah. A couple <laughs> of air guns in here. You're like, oh, what is that? It's a, some weird Beretta 22. Okay, cool. Uh, they've got CZ 75 pre B for 500 bucks, which I think that's pretty good deal for some of that stuff. Mm. And then they've got some, uh, various pouches and that kind of thing. So uh, if you're looking for a sale, uh, check that out at Wanstalls. Uh, well, why don't we get on to the main topic? And for tonight's main topic, we have rifle chair from the rifle chair YouTube channel. Uh, welcome and, uh, let us know, uh, what you're all about and what you get into. 
Hello, folks. Yeah, hello. My my name is uh, Rifle Chair. My my real name's Richard, but I go by the the name Rifle Chair. First of all, I'd like to congratulate um, all of you guys here. I mean, you've you've had 400 episodes. I guess we're at episode 412 now. That that is a huge milestone. So, congratulations to all of you. Oh, so you. yeah, uh, RifleChair.com is my website. I also have a YouTube channel uh, on uh, on YouTube. Uh, with around just shy of 12,000 subscribers, generally musketry and and uh, marksmanship, uh, some of the primary, you know, subjects of conversation on the on the channel. I have some fantastic subscribers. Uh, some of the dialogue that goes on on the channel, comments, you know, communication back and forth is very educational. Even just 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 for me, because I mean they're adding to the conversation of my various videos. Generally, other types of themes that we discuss on, on the channel are kind of the history, kind of gun reviews. I don't really do modern guns, uh, although I, d I have kind of included some of those in the mix. Primarily, they're, mm -hmm. they're, old, they're older kind of firearms that we, that we review on the channel, which is the Enfield's Model 98, Mauser's large ring, small ring, and so on. Um, so a lot of musketry, a lot of tradition kind of uh, subjects that I discuss on the channel, freedom advocacy. Um, gun control versus crime control, developing a safety culture. And I think that's, I think that's, if you're going to be discussing the subject of musketry and rifles and, and handguns and stuff like that, you have to be a, a big advocate for developing a, a safety culture. So I like to talk about that kind of stuff too. I used to talk a little bit about power structures and um, uh, political power structures and so on. I do so less now today because of kind of the censorship that, that's going on today and hmm. uh, on YouTube and in can especially here in Canada. Because uh, you don't really know is, to, I guess it's self-censorship, censorship, isn't it really? Um so, I mean, I kind of got my mind on that too, but mostly primarily musketry, marksmanship, and, and those different kinds of things. I also have an annual uh, championship called the Cabin Fever Challenge. It's been in operation since 2014, and uh, it's turned international. We got competitors from the United States, Canada, Finland, Sweden, uh, Britain, Germany, and uh, it's, it's a 20-round it's a course of fire across four different shooting positions, all of which are unsupported. And it's it's gone international, but it's kind of homegrown here in Canada, um, and it's invigilated by other YouTube channels. So those um, those uh, fantastic people that have been helping with the competition, hello out there, thank you very much, uh, great people. Um, primarily, a lot of the things that I discuss on my channel are Lee Enfield oriented, primarily because of my experience with them, having served uh, 18 years as a member of the Canadian Armed Forces as a Canadian Ranger. Um, I retired from the Canadian Armed Forces uh, June 2019 with my rifle, which was gifted to me by the, Her Majesty the Queen, and I thank yes. her for that very much. Uh, the rifle's name is Lursa, 1950 C number four Mark One Star Lee Enfield, great rifle, and I've probably put in the neighborhood of around 20,000 rounds down the tube of that particular rifle. So a fair amount of um, experience with Lee Enfield. Um, kind of tighten them up, uh, you know, know you, in order to be kind of a marksman of those guns or rifles, you need to be kind of a semi-quasi gun plumber, I guess you would say, for lack of a better word, and kind of know what you need to do to, to make them sing, uh, for lack of a better word. Uh, other exactly. than that, uh, I'm essentially, you know, a 30-year veteran of the, uh, the forest industry. Uh, working in the mountains of Northwest British Columbia, very re remote location with mountains, giant rivers, black bears, grizzly bears, moose, and all kinds of different kind of critters that have to work in 
work and play and live amongst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of opportunity to get out there and do some shooting in northern BC. Um, yeah, so yeah. the the Lee Enfield stuff was specifically uh, why, like, selfishly, most of the hosts of uh, Slamfire here in town were getting into a project. Like, we need to le- we need to learn about something. I needed to learn about Lee Enfield because my background right now that's my prestigious stock that I'm uh, in the middle of uh. Uh, fitting to a number four Mark One, and I was like, I want to know about betting because someone's like, how are you betting it? How many coats of uh, boiled linseed oil are you going to put on that thing? I'm like, wow, right? no, I guess I have to. I guess I have to find out. I guess I have to, <laughs> to ask some experts. And I started yeah. looking around for Lee Enfield betting, and your video came up on uh, on all the different betting methods. And I was like, there's a lot. There's a lot to this. I, I need to get this guy on so we can <laughs> learn all about it. And I mean, yeah. like, there's yeah. probably a lot of our listeners that um, maybe in the mid- middle of. Uh, uh, restoring their Leanne field back to a uh, factory condition uh, or that uh, might have considered it. They might have a sporterized one and they might want to consider uh, uh, bringing it back to life. So um, in, in, in your video, you had described a couple of different betting styles. Maybe just uh, take us through um, what are the different styles of betting that you can do with, uh, with a Leanne field and uh, what are the kind of the pros and cons of, of some of them? Certainly. Uh, you know, I, I guess if you're going with a prestigious uh, stock, these are the newly manufactured um, yep. stocks. Is that correct? That's okay. Correct. I, I, yep. I haven't I haven't played with one of those yet. Um, all of the all of the stocks that I've that I've worked with have been well, it's seasoned. Let's put them in that put them that way. <laughs> <laughs> Dunked in a in a barrel of uh, boiled linseed oil. There's the coating. <laughs> well, yeah, but but uh, um, that's something for you to consider. First off, before you do anything, is um, how you've um, waterproofed that stock. Now, so too many times I've I've come across the infield stocks that have been varnished, um, mm. and and uh, they don't even take it out of the wood. They just go <laughs> cover the metal with it, and the wood and they just go okay, it's good enough. You know, it's a Lee Enfield. Who cares? That's only the attitude when it comes to Lee Enfield. It's it's a piece of junk. Um, it's they're not good rifles. It, they're the poor man's rifle. That's why you have a Lee Enfield. But I think a lot of people with with experience have come come to realize that the Lee Enfields is a serious piece of kit, and um, when it once once you got them tuned up, they're an incredible incredible rifle system. So you might want to consider if you're going with one of the brand new prestigious stocks, is to get, give kind of the or- organic aspect of the rifle, which is the wood stock, some consideration before you really look out look at sanding or cutting and chiseling. To, to, to fit the stock into the rifle. And, and so what I rec- highly recommend mm-hmm. is that before you do anything is you get yourself some raw linseed oil. Now, this is the, I'm not talking about boiled linseed oil. I'm talking about raw linseed oil. And you, cause you, what you want that oil to do is you don't want it to, um, to congeal on, on the, on the outer extremities of the rifle uh, of, of the stock. You want it to penetrate into the wood. That's, that's kind of the, the spirit and intent of, of, of how the, how those stocks were, were prepared in order to be used for, well, generally used in incredibly inclement weather. You know, they were, they were drug all over Europe and, and Asia and mm-hmm. some of the worst kind of environmentals you can even imagine. Um, and it was, it was raw linseed that did the trick. So that's something for you to think about. Once you got your stock thoroughly impregnated with that raw linseed oil, um, then you can maybe start thinking about using some, to boil linseed oil on on the outer surfaces that will harden and that will kind of give you that will encapsulate the wood and help and help to stop the raw linseed oil from kind of bleeding out and say hot weather or washing out in the rain uh mm-hmm. that, that, that that kind of idea so that's a, that's something for you to think about <laughs> um 
what I will say though um, about the Lee Enfield is um, is that there you maybe think of it as a kind of a teeter totter. Uh, I'm going to use a Lee Enfield here if that's okay to demonstrate. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So is it a number four mark one? Uh, that's mine. Yeah. Okay. I have had a number one mark three in the past. I gotta say, I really like the the number four. I prefer the number four to the uh, to the number one. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I, I agree with you. With this primarily, my my scope of practice would is is around the the number four iterations of the of the Lee Enfield rifle. My mm -hmm. one of my favorites is the number four Mark II iterations, where the 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 trigger is hung from the receiver rather than from the trigger guard. It's just a much better concept to, for for ensuring your your trigger pull is consistent. But um, so essentially, with the Lee Enfield rifle, there are some different ways. There's the traditional way of betting your rifle. And then there's this kind of the, the target shooting marksman style of, um, uh, betting the Lee Enfield. So I'll, maybe what I'll do is talk about the traditional way and then the, the target mm -hmm. shooting way is, is would that be okay? Yeah. Okay. So with the Lee Enfield rifle, maybe think of it as the teeter, as a teeter totter, you've got to wait on either side of this thing and, it, and there's a pivot point in the middle. Well, the pivot point in the middle is the action screw, mm -hmm. okay, right here. And so there's there's firm contact underneath the receiver right around this area, around the action screw, and then area here about an inch, half an inch wide, maybe three-quarters of an inch long, called the Knox form, where there's there's good firm contact between the metal and, and the wood at this location here. Okay, so there's firm contact at this location around the, the action screw of the rifle. That's, just, that's the middle of the teeter-totter. On the other sides, you have what are called the draws, which is where you have these lugs from which the um, uh, the sear is actually connected to the rifle. These little kind of this little um, pronounced area inside the uh, the action here. Those are called the the lugs. So mm -hmm. there's a recess here, which is called the recoil lug, and and so that's there needs to be firm contact there. Also at the other end of the rifle. You have um, firm contact here with the rifle and the forestock. And there should be between three and seven pounds of foretip pressure at that location. And you'll notice that you're, if you were to actually, I don't know if you can see this or not, but you can actually move the foretip up, but it will come right back down. So there's about yep. average around five pounds of foretip pressure, generally between three and seven pounds. If you don't have that, you have a bedding problem. Additionally, um, um, you should you should be able to tighten your action screw here uh, to the point where it's pretty snug. You don't want to really kind of crank on it. Uh, I couldn't tell you how many pounds pressure you would use in order to establish this, but just kind of keep keep it snug. But you don't need to you don't want to crush the wood underneath, if you know what I mean. There is a bearing surface mm -hmm. here, um, so you don't want to over tighten it. You should also have the um, there's a I guess you would say what the, a pillar. A steel pillar that goes in between the action yep. screw and the metal that is at the, that location. So that's kind of the general principle of a traditionally um, 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 bedded rifle that you would see as it was be issued to you um, um, if you were in the uh, if you were in the military. And the reason why there is contact here at the front is because these rifles were issued with with a bayonet. Okay, so. I mean, if you were free for, floated at this location and then you added a weight to the end of it, you're, you're going to be spraying and praying. 
But because mm-hmm. I've got extra weight on the barrel here at this location, I've got firm contact in about an inch and a, inch and a quarter area here at the bottom of the forestock, good foretip pressure. And I, I can still have a semblance of fairly decent accuracy up to at least 200 meters. Now, the other way to actually um, bed the Liat infield rifle is to actually free float it. Now, it's not free floating as you can consider in the traditional sense, because this is a rifle that has kind of a funny bedding system with only one action screw and draws. Okay, so it's not a true free floating, but essentially what you're doing is you're taking that point of contact that's up here at the at the foretip area of the stock and you're moving it back to right here. So it's not really truly 100% free floating. You're just shifting that third point of contact further back into the stock. And so you 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 build up an area right here. There's some other kind of different ways of doing it. Um, one of which is one of which is to use like a marine tech epoxy. Mm-hmm. Some, to that effect, you can get some some uh, plasticine on the other side and kind of build it up like a dam. Um, lots of people used to use back in the 1950s and the 1960s when they were DCRA shooting, DCRA shooting, excuse me, for service rifle matches, and, uh, NSCC, National Service Com- uh, Conditions, is that they would use fiberglass. Um, I've seen lots of people use uh, cork. You can you can go by, go to your local Princess Auto place, and go get yourself a couple sheets of uh, gasket material. You know that mm-hmm. cork gasket material, yep. and you can mm-hmm. you can you can epoxy that into the area too if you want if you want to stiffen that area up as well. Um, I just I'm I'm I used to use the epoxies quite a bit, JB Weld, Marine Tex, those those kinds of uh, materials, yep. and I'm starting to kind of use a combination of the two and with the gasket material. Um, so that's and you that's, said that uh, that bedding was just a little bit forward of the uh, chamber, I guess, on the on the barrel. So yeah. you just you just mm-hmm. get that part to uh, to kind of hold all the uh, take all the weight. That is correct. That is correct. So what you can actually do. Is uh, th- I'm not suggesting this because you've actually are using a uh, a uh, you'll be going with a full um, military stock, but in this case, what what the latter type of um, bedding will allow you to do is to actually use a cut down stock as well, because you don't you don't you don't need the foretip pressure at, at the at the end of the barrel, do you? So I've I've transferred it to here on this one here. This is an original number four Mark one T sniper rifle. This is not the original wood. Okay. I'm, this is just a, like, I, I don't want to go to hell. So, I mean, I, I, I would never, I would never do something like that to cut down the original wood on a rifle like this. That's for sure. So this is a, this is just something that I've acquired. So at, at this location, there is, it is center blocked, center bedded. It is semi free floating, obviously, but it allows me the latitude to reduce the weight of the rifle just a little bit by actually having a stock like this. But what mm-hmm. what I will what I, what I will mention to you though is because um, of this um, the system of bedding that the Enfields enjoy um, is that I, I highly recommend that if you're going to be um, playing around with it is that you also have a handguard on top of the wood. And the reason why I'm saying that is because if you have a rifle like this slung over your shoulder, it's a it's an incredible amount of you're you're essentially pulling down on the stock like this here, mm-hmm. and what that ends up doing is it, put, it puts a tremendous amount of pressure here on the draws at the aft end of the rifle. 
Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're really pulling on that sling, or if you're just you know wrapping it around your arm to get a good stable shooting position, for example, yeah, nice. That you're, yep. you're you're pulling down on that rifle, and so that's why I have the handguard here to basically to to essentially support that location. So I'm not pulling the wood down and damaging the draws, damaging yep. the bedding system of the rifle. Now. Um, uh, I, I, I'm aware like the, the traditional way of doing this would be mostly you just use like wood, straight wood. Is there any, um, uh, hybrid method of using like epoxy on the draws to get a nice tight, uh, fit up or anything like that? Or is it just use the wood, whittle at it, and then, uh, uh just keep going until it's, uh, until it's nice and snug in there? Yeah. So you, you, um, I have actually done that. I have used, um, a Marine Tex, mm-hmm. uh, in order to actually build up the draws, but those are only on stocks that had damaged draws. So you kind of chisel the material away. What I'll also like to do is sink um, um, holes into that surface area. So I'm actually um, anchoring that epoxy into the wood mm-hmm. at, that, at that location because you don't want to just skim bed at that location because it, it receives so much um, impact with every single time that the rifle recoils. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, I'll use this this one here as another example. One of the funny things about the Lee-Enfield is that there's a tremendous amount of barrel whip uh, that occurs on, on, on these rifles, especially with the number one Mark III rifles. This is a number four. They have a little bit of a stiffer barrel on them, a little bit larger diameter, I guess you would say, but just, mm-hmm. you know. It's not a heavy barrel, it's, but it's heavier than a, than, a, than a number one Mark III. But what, what you'll notice here is, I would love to see this in slow motion, is that every time the rifle is discharged, you get flex and movement all the way from the receiver forward through the barrel. So you get this wave, you get this whip kind of um, type of phenomenon, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why the traditional bedding system was that you had between three and 10 pounds of foretip pressure on the rifle was to help to stabilize that. But um, so that's, that's something to consider is that uh, the draws need to be very, very, um, they need to be in firm contact um, with, with the receiver lugs yeah. at, at this location because you don't want it to crack. And then, you know, as, if you're in a competition, as I used to do quite frequently, whether it was uh, the Canadian Armed Forces Small Arms Concentration or, or no, going to BCRA Service Rifle Championships, um, every year I used to do that consistently and it really helped to, for me to develop my skills and drills and marksmanship it really did. But uh, those are the kinds of things that I've, I really came, came to appreciate is that just how much of a difference in performance that it would help to, to achieve at the end of the day. Yeah. Maybe that's a, a, a good next thing to talk about. What kind of performance can you expect out of a Lee infield? So we're going iron sights, but they're good iron sights. <clears throat> uh, what kind of accuracy can you typically get out of a, a, a really well bedded, really well set up infield? And, and what are some of the tips you can use to, to kind of maximize that accuracy? Yeah. Okay. So um, that's actually a really, really great question because there's um, there's a couple of different things that you really need to pay attention to, and well, mm-hmm. one of which is first of all is the the quality of your ammunition because of this barrel whip phenomenon that I was just referring to. If you have like let's say you you got yourself some some World War II you know Mark Seven era ammunition, full metal jacket, 174 grain uh, projectiles, is that um, you know, the quality of the ammunition for, for a lot of the Lee Enfields back in the day was, uh, wasn't great. I mean, uh, uh, some of them were almost, you, know, you could, you could barely even chamber around because they're, you know, there's Pakistan, there's Canadian arsenals, there's, um, you know, the Greeks made a whole bunch of it. Um, 
this, this is a whole wide kind of iteration of 303 British that was manufactured, military surplus ammunition that was manufactured, and not all of it shot great. All right. So I've heard all kinds of, you know, they're not rumors. It's actually quite true is that the Lee Enfield actually shoots better at long range than it does at, cl at, at close range. Look, 300 meters would be considered to be fairly, I'd say, medium range. Mm -hmm. 500, 600 meters would be considered to be fairly long range, especially if you're shooting open sights. And the Taliban in Afghanistan can prove to us though what the Lee Enfield really can do, and it shocked a lot of people. Um, but at uh, because of the, this this ammunition quality issue, what happens? Is some rounds exit the barrel slower, and some rounds exit the barrel faster because there's inconsistency in the quality of the ammunition. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if the slower rounds have a tendency to impact high because of this barrel whip phenomenon. The longer it takes for that barrel to actually exit the barrel, the muzzle has climbed a little bit further. And so you have a higher trajectory, even though it's a slower round. Whereas that if it was a faster round, it exits the, the muzzle quicker and, it, and the barrel hasn't had enough time to rise. That's, that's a problem that you can, you can get rid of if you're running high quality ammunition or hand loads or, you, you know, it's just a you know, good brand or manufacturer of factory ammunition. Mm -hmm. You get you eliminate that problem, but if you have any doubts about you know the quality of your ammunition, that is something for you to take into consideration. Um, sorry, what was the original question? <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, we're we're going down there. What's uh, what what kind of accuracy can you expect out of a, yeah, yeah. Out of a right. decently? Okay, so I would say, okay, let's say we're to, we're talking about a rifle that is in excellent excellent condition. There's no problems mm -hmm. with with the um, with the bedding, and it's a it's tr it's a kind of traditional set up, you know, with the four tip pressure and, mm -hmm. and all that different stuff, but it's set up properly. Okay. Um, we also need to remember that this is a battle rifle. It was made, you know, between, you know, 1941 up all the way up to, in case, some cases, the mid fifties, if it was a Canadian rifle, for example. And, and generally I would say the quality of all of the Canadian versions would be good. The British would be is kind of all over the place. Um, but you also have to remember the British Leon fields were you know, being manufactured in factories that were being bombed by the Luftwaffe. And so yeah. there'd be a guy in the milling machine and there'd be huge giant, you know, gaping holes in, in, the, in the roof and he'd be rained on because they, the factory had just been bombed a week ago. Right. It's water so, cooling. It's water cooling if you get too hot. Yeah, it's water cooling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, there can be all, all kinds of factors that, that, would, that would have an impact on, on the quality uh, of your rifle and its ability to shoot. But I would say, for example, a rifle that is in excellent shooting condition uh, with a five-groove barrel, not a two-groove, um, that you should be able to expect two and a half minutes of angle at 100 meters, a two-and-a-half-inch group. And I'm talking about a 10-round group. Mm -hmm. Two two and a half inches. That is with with if you if you're doing absolutely everything correctly, and and the rifle is shooting good, you you should be able to achieve two and a half minutes of angle. If you've um if you've gone through the process of of match bedding it or match tuning it, um you should be able to achieve at least one and a half minutes of angle. And if you're if you're running a, a rifle that has actually been professionally manufactured to be, um let's just say uh, like a sni a sniping platform or a dedicated mm -hmm. marksman rifle so such as this um this rifle here which is the the enfield enforcer is that you're a submitted of angle rifle this one here is in 762 nato and it has a uh, a match heavy barrel Ooh, yeah that is heavy yeah that is a very very heavy barrel and it has a it has a different bedding system altogether compared to the other the other two examples that i just showed you because it has the heavy barrel it doesn't need to, uh, so it's got a few, a few different rules applied to that one. But um, so, I mean, 
but if you're if you're talking about a rifle that is maybe a little bit tired, it's seen a lot of ammunition down down the barrel. You're going to be you could conce conceivably between three to four, maybe even five inches if it's tired. I mean, is this there are ways of of tightening that up a little bit, but um, you're also talking about a rifle that's between seventy and eighty years old. Right? Mm -hmm. You could take that into yeah. consideration. Interesting. Are there any uh, other? Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was. I, I actually did allude to this just just a little bit here. So the difference between a five groove barrel and a two groove barrel mm -hmm. um, is that you won't necessarily be able to see any any serious difference out of a so performance wise between a five groove and a two groove. Um, I don't. Do you guys know what I mean by the difference between a five groove and a two groove barrel? Yeah. You probably there are how many grooves there are in the barrel? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, you you won't really see a dramatic difference between the two so far as performance is concerned until you get to 300 meters and out. But I'd say you know 200 meters and in, you, there's no there's no real measurable difference in performance. But you get to 300 meters and out, yeah, it's uh, you you don't want to be running a two groove. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. That's that's been my observation and experience. Hmm. And then. Um... Uh, what, what other tips might you have for for some of our listeners who who maybe have a, a Leanfield and uh, and want to improve on the accuracy of, of it? What are some of the the common bugaboos or things that you might notice uh, at a <laughs> at a service rifle match that uh, that someone has to fix uh, in terms of their rifle? Okay, one of the one of the big indicators for me is um, is to check your action screw t tension, and if it's mm -hmm. tight and the wood is still loose in the stock, you have a bedding problem. If you go to check, and I mean, some some of these rifles, you just you just shake it, and you can hear the the metal bouncing around inside the wood. I've seen that at places like uh, uh, the Canadian Armed Forces Small Arms con Concentration, and these guys are out on the range shooting at 500 meters, and every once in a while they hit the target, and it's absolutely <laughs> astonishing to me that they can do that. I mean, because they're they're shooting at these targets. And at 500 meters, you can't actually see the target in the middle. All you can mm -hmm. see is the four-foot frame that it's sitting on. But the fact that you have a rifle that's loose in its stock and you actually hit the target at all means that you're you're probably a really good shot, but you don't know anything about the maintenance of your rifle. Like uh, at at 500 meters, I can get all 10 rounds on the, on the target, and that's in the that's in the prone unsupported, where I'm not actually shooting at the target itself. I've I've got my front sight on the uh, six o'clock position. Six o'clock hold? Uh, the four foot frame, because that's all I can see. And my point of impact is 24 inches high. Um, so that's that's the first thing that I would check. Your action mm -hmm. screw tension, and if the wood is, if, is, is the metal is loose inside the stock, you have a bedding problem. Um, what I, again, what I would say is that so many of these rifles is that uh, when, you're, when you're talking about a rifle with an organic um, element onto it, such as a wood stock, those those stocks were intended to be soaked in raw linseed oil and maintained so that, that that moisture content stabilizes the wood. And it's incredible just how much raw linseed oil will soak into that wood. If it's it's if it's dry, the, the wood shrinks, and then your your rifle gets loose inside the wood. So that's mm -hmm. one of the things that I would, I would that I would I would zone in on right away. Second thing is if that's not a consideration, check check to see if there is that four tip pressure that I referred to before. Mm -hmm. Um, and if there is, then it's not a bedding problem. In my opinion, it's not a bedding problem. If the wood is tight inside the stock and you've got the four-tip pressure, it's something else. It's probably shooter-related. Uh, 
the nut behind the uh, the rifle. <laughs> That's right. I mean, if your if your skills and drills aren't great, if you don't, I mean, if for example, it's the same kind of idea as being able to read wind. Being able to read wind is not going to help you if you can't shoot consistently. Mm-hmm. So yeah, interesting. So I mean, so um, essentially, what I would do next is, you know, being I guess you'd say. You know, one of my primary um, roles and responsibilities being part of these shooting teams that would go to these these concentrations, you know, shooting with Gurkhas and the British Army Infantry, you know, U.S. Army, Canadian soldiers, is, is uh, as you're on these different teams, is you watch the shooter and you observe what they're doing. And sometimes we don't know, we're not always supposed to be doing this, but sometimes there's opportunities during practice sessions when you're assigned to, to a relay um, is that we'll, we'll actually help each other, just coach each other during these practice sessions and say, okay, hey, man, you're really, you're jerking that trigger or your mm-hmm. eyes are shut at the moment of truth. Um, or you can say your, your hands are shaking. I can tell that you're nervous, you know, just kind of take a few deep breaths or, uh, you're, you've been in the shooting position for far too long. Take a break, put the rifle down and start breathing again, close your eyes, rest your eyes, you know, stuff like that. And, and Bring, bring it back. And, you know, it's just constantly referring to the fundamentals of, of musketry and marksmanship because uh, it may not necessarily be the rifle that's causing the problem. But it's convenient to blame the rifle. Always. <laughs> that's, that's your ego. That's, that's yeah. the ego ca- coming in. Right. And then, yeah. and, and again, it's, uh, I mean, Lee Enfield's when they're, when they're, when they're, when they're tired, worn, worn out, they haven't been maintained. The maintenance regime has not been kept up. Uh, people get frustrated with them. They'll blame the rifle. People, a lot of people have a really, really bad opinion of the rifle. But also, I mean, if you've got that bad, that poor quality ammunition that you've been shooting out of the rifle, you may start to develop a, a poor opinion of the rifle because you don't know why mm-hmm. you're, uh, you're you behind the trigger and, and the rifle is just not giving you the expect. You're not meeting your own expectations. So there's a reason for it. So it's a it's a process of elimination just with any other kind of rifle system as well. Yeah, maybe like a, a more of a specific question, just because it's on the top of my head. Um, what about uh, for for bullets? Do you typically run like a one seventy four grain? Do you ever want run one twenty three grain like SKS stuff? Do you ever like what do you what do you typically run in your uh, in your rifles? I'm, yeah. I'm, I've got my dies next to me. I've got some cases. I'm like looking around <laughs> at bullets and like my local Cabela's has like one style, so I'm probably not going to get that one. But if uh, yeah. I'm just kind of curious what you use. Yeah. So for for me, um, so, well, uh, economics has a huge impact on. Uh, mm-hmm on a person's ability to shoot, doesn't it? I mean, uh, uh, if your ammunition is horrifically expensive, you're probably going to be buying less of it. And if you're buying or if you're acquiring less of it, you're probably not going to get as much trigger time to develop and maintain your skills and drills. Cause as we all know, um, marksmanship has a shelf life. And if you don't practice your skills and drills, it, it does this, right? Cause we forget yeah. we're, 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 we're fallible human beings and, and we forget, um, so it's a compromise between uh, your cost and, and your time and, and and your personal investment into into the ammunition that you 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 acquire or tailor for the rifle. And so for for me personally, um, I like I like to shoot the um, oh geez, what's the name of it? They're made in Canada. They're they're 180 grain round nose bullet. Campro, thank you. I use the 180. Who said that? I didn't know that Campro said- has. Uh, that, that was me. Um, I didn't know the Camp Pro has three hundred three stuff, but Camp Pro like yeah. the, the price. The price is the best. <laughs> like the, their uh, bullets no. are cheap. Yeah, yeah. No, no. They're they're actually a great bullet. They fly mm. really, really well. 
and um, I've had success shooting them out to about four, sorry, 500 meters as well. And that's on, uh, on two different military ranges that I was shooting that ammunition out to 500 meters. We were hitting the target with a round nose bullet at 500 meters. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's affordable. I don't think it's – here's a, the other thing to consider is that um, so many of these soft point bullets that you can acquire – whether you actually have a Spitzer point bullet and a, and a protruding lead tip. Um, there's a feeding ramp. There's a feed ramp on the Lee Enfield rifle. When you chamber that round, quite a, especially if you're in a, in a rapid fire serial, you're really, you're treating that Lee Enfield hard. Okay. Once that le exposed lead tip hits that feed ramp, it pushes the lead over to one side before it chambers. And if you're, if you're really trying to focus on surgical precision, that's gonna that's gonna play a role somehow, some way in, in the, the the terminal ballistics of, of that round as it as it spins towards the target. So um, I like to use um, uh, if it's gonna be a Spitzer point bullet, I would prefer that it's a um, uh, a full metal jacket. Full metal jacket, yeah. Um, yeah. But if it's going to be for hunting purposes, I'm going with a round nose bullet. But mm -hmm. I've just just you know for giggles, you know. 500 meters and, and consistently hitting the target. I was very surprised. Even with a round nose bullet, you will see a little bit of an indentation on the, on the exposed lead tip, but nowhere near as bad if it was a Spitzer point bullet. So I, yeah. I've, I, I'm a big proponent of advocating for the, for the, uh, for the cam pro bullet. I think they're great. Yeah. They have a little bit of a thinner jacket on them. So for, for weight, weight retention, if you're hunt, moose hunting or something to that effect, uh, you may not get the weight retention that you you would be hoping for, such as like a, if it was a, um, uh, uh, what do they call those bullets that are fused bonded. to the light? Bonded, bonded bullet, yep. a bonded bullet or a, an A-frame stab bullet, like a partition or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they seem to hold together well enough to do the job. Yeah, I mean, a 303 is not sending them super fast, and a 180 yeah. grains is, is quite a bit lead to, to send out. I like the price. I like the fact that they come in bags of 500. That's uh, that's like yep. right up there. I like. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I very much follow the motto of like buy it cheap and stack it deep. And uh, for <laughs> mm -hmm. like this this current shortage of, of ammunition, nine millimeter and two two three, like I don't care because I've got enough. Like I'll I'll shoot through it, and ammo will be cheap again by the time uh, by the by the time I run out. Uh, two hundred bucks for 500. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a, again, I mean, uh, the cost, there's a cost compromise, performance compromise. You just got to find out where your happy zone is. I'm really happy with that bullet. I have tried uh, the 762 by 39, 123 grain mm -hmm. projectiles as well. Again, just, just playing around with loads. And uh, I've, I haven't really finished that, that project to see how far I can mm. get that. But um, really, you should be, you should be only be thinking about using those projectiles and a barrel uh, with in a, in a rifle with a really good barrel, maybe even a really tight barrel, because they are a 310 diameter bullet, and the Lee Enfield starts at around 311, maybe uh, even up to mm. 312. And the, and people running cast bullets are running as high as 314 sometimes, depending on what the the, the groove diameter is on their barrel. Mm. So they're maybe just a little bit on the skinny side for for a Lee Enfield. But if uh, if you have a really tight bore on your on your rifle, you should really consider playing around with it. There's 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 um you. It, they do, they, they do need to be seated out fairly far because of the throat and the lead on, yep. on the yep. Leanfield rifle. And there's not a lot. Of, they're pretty short, right? So, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much you, how much, uh, you can get on that. So but it's worth playing with if you're an experienced hand loader. 
I am, but I don't think my rifle barrel is going to be that. <laughs> it's just a stock British World War II yeah. era 303. <laughs> so if you're saying, ah, they need to be tight, it's like, it's probably not. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get the Cam Pro. <laughs> I, I have had I've had great success with 7.62 by 54R pulled bullets. They're essentially, mm-hmm. you know, a, a full metal jacket 303 bullet. You know, they, they shoot great yeah. in, in the infield. So I had lots of success with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's a really interesting platform. I think, like you were saying there, uh, just because we have so many of them in Canada and they've been so cheap for so long, people kind of like turn their nose down at the uh, the three hundred three or the Sportarized three hundred three that they've got in there in, the, in their closet, or every farmer seems to have in their closet. But uh, when you yeah. start comparing it with yeah. other rifles of the era, boy, it's it's pretty good. I, like in terms of, yeah, if, would I rather shoot a Mosin Nagant uh, prone or would I, would I rather shoot a Lee? Like give me the Lee every, every day, <laughs> the running the yeah. bolts, the stock fit, like it's all just so, so much better. And, uh, uh, and it's, uh, it's got that Canadiana in it. Right. So there's what something is the to pricing be, uh, on them. Which on one is yeah. Or any, or like the range of, of Enfields out there. You can get a used sporterized one for like 200 bucks. Yeah, you, you can get a, some of them are just, uh, you know, it's uh, ugly, you know, but uh, yeah, you, you can, you, you see them every once in a while, you know, 150 to $200 of sporterized, but they're tired. Wow. You can tell, you can tell yeah. these are tired rifles, right? So you really need to pay attention to, you got to be able to ask the seller some very specific questions. And if they don't give you the answer that, to satisfy you, just buyer beware, caveat emptor, right? When it comes to the Enfields. Uh, because um, so many of them have been used and abused, they're rusted, uh, they, and there's some headspace issues. And if they don't give you the answers that you're looking for, it, they they could be unsafe. And so it's you know you need to educate yourself before even if, oh it's a great deal, it's only 150 dollars. You well you might actually regret you know that mm-hmm. that purchase. So yeah, you know I, I I would caution people to maybe spend if it was a, a a surplus that's been cut down or a Lee Enfield that's been sporterized is that uh, just do your homework and, and ask the questions and maybe even spend a little bit more money. Even if it's like 350 bucks, just get something that, you know, it's going to be good. You can rely on it and it's going to do what it's designed to do. Hmm. Uh, but if it's a, if it's an original, all parts matching, all numbers matching um, full military with full wood and it's just in beautiful condition. Now you're almost running around $2,000 now for those okay. rifles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially for the ones that are just that's still in the mummy bag wrap, like these mm. the Irish contract rifles, you know, they're they're starting to approach two thousand dollars now. A little bit more than a Mosin the Gaunt. A little <laughs> yeah. <bit> nicer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Well that's been a it's it's uh it's been a lot of uh, really good information, uh yeah. Richard. And uh thank you yeah. for uh thank you for coming on and telling us all about it. Um before we uh, let you go, maybe just tell tell people where they can find you and uh where they can find your your stuff online. Certainly. Um there's a couple of different ways you, you can find me. I'm on Instagram, just do at you know, the at symbol rifle chair. Same thing with Facebook, uh same thing with YouTube. I do have a website, riflechair.com. And also the the Cabin Fever Challenge, which you can find is at Cabin Fever Challenge on Facebook. And uh, that's where we have our rule set. Uh, we, we, we launched the, uh, the, it's an international competition. We launch in January every year, and it uh, extends through to towards the end of March. It's a great competition. Mm-hmm. It's very, very simple, but it's not as easy as a lot of people think it might be. 
this positional unsupported shooting. It's uh, and it's great. But it, but here's the thing: is that with, especially with COVID nineteen right now, a lot of gun ranges are still closed. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. Well, these the third or fifth and tenth wave of <laughs> that might be coming our way. As to what's going to happen, and so you know, with with uh, typical competitions they're generally their group safety precautions everybody gets received their range commands and so on all in plenary at the same time but with the cabin fever challenge this is something you can do solo on in your own time you just film yourself run through the course of fire and it's there's a trust factor there's the honor system and um, it's a great competition something to take into consideration if your range has been closed and you want to be involved you want to get out breathe some fresh air especially in the wintertime here because we're Canadians and we lo- we like to shoot in sub-zero conditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's a good way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Getting out and doing a postal challenge. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's a really good idea. Cool. And uh, we'll be sure to link those in the show notes. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks, everybody. And as always, Maple Leaf up. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again for uh, to Rifle Chair for coming on and uh, telling me everything I need to know for Leanne Fields. <laughs> yeah. I was seriously considering doing the epoxy bed thing before, like doing that tiger, tiger rifle. I'm like, I've bedded lots of rifles. That looks easy to me. I can do that. And I'm not going to screw around with wood and chisels. I'm just going <laughs> to get the, I'm going to crack out the acro glass and like have at it. But uh, now I'm kind of yeah. reconsidering. Maybe I'll just do the traditional wood thing. Get that five yeah. pounds up uplift on the nose. Yeah, I guess. Get your lipstick out and start marking it all off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's going to have to go that way. And I'm going to have to order find some of those uh, Campro bullets to uh, to shoot. Oh, so mm-hmm. good, so good. Yeah. yeah, nice and cheap ammo. Love it. Why don't we get into uh, listener feedback? Listener feedback is sponsored by Armory DC Gunsmith. Armory DC Gunsmith is a full-service gunsmith who specializes in firearms refinishing. He offers hot bluing, parkerizing, Cerakote finishes, as well as wood refinishing. Uh, He can do uh, your number four. He can do your number one. He can do your number 41. Uh, Any which rifle you need, he can uh, redo it, restore it, repaint it, Cerakote it, whatever you want. Check them out at dcgunsmith.ca. Uh, let's get into emails. Mo, do you want to take this one from Josh? Yep, will do. Hello, all. Last week you spoke of the gray birch on your show. I've been firing some rounds through mine, which has the traditional V-block setup. Now the newest fusion design, which has the... which has the Not, barrel not nut, the newest one. Not yeah. the newest fusion design, which has the barrel nut connection. The fusion system will be coming my way shortly, I hope. Also, it has the newer bolt design, which has much better coating on it, making cleanings almost a thing of the past. Since Jan 1, I have fired 4,700 rounds through it. I cleaned it after 3,500 rounds, which wasn't the plan, but after I won the CCFR receiver, I had to install it. The insides were surprisingly clean compared to how a traditional 1022 would have looked after a similar number of rounds. I won't be cleaning it again until I start to experience issues mechanically or with accuracy. I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah, those uh, those factory Ruger bolts, because they're like cast, they're really rough and they collect junk. They collect mm-hmm. dirt and oil and grease and crap, carbon fouling. It's like those those Ruger bolts really uh, collect that stuff. Whereas I've, I've found a lot of the CNC uh, machine bolts or any bolts that are like coated. Yeah, way cleaner, way cleaner. Regarding the trigger, they are currently shipping with the Timney trigger. Early on, uh, early on the trigger 
issue, trigger had issues. This wasn't a Grey Birch issue, but was a Timney issue. Nonetheless, Grey Birch solved it. I must say, if there is a Grey Birch out there with any issue, contact them. I'm not sure what the warranty is exactly, but based on my experience with them, they look they will look after you. They don't want your firearms having any issues. Hmm. I believe they are nearing the final stages of design with the new trigger. Posted on this social media picture of it recently. This will be interesting. The Grey Birch has a unique look and performs very well. It's also great that you can start with a regular 1022 and upgrade a piece at a time or all at once. You can replace the bolt for little money and it's so much easier to work with than a traditional 1022. Much better design. If you're familiar with the frustrations of removing and installing a traditional 1022 mm -hmm. bolt, you will understand how unbelievable this is. You can install the Grey Birch bolt with one hand. Not the three. <laughs> you kind of need three to do the Ruger because <laughs> you got to like uh, pull the, the charging handle back and hold it and put the bolt in and kind of wiggle it in place and get that charging handle on there. It's a real. And I mean, like in terms of like guidance, the, the guidance that a single off axis uh, rod has. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the best design. Um, the money can stack up if you want to have the complete package. If you build it piece by piece to be a full Gucci setup like the picture below, you can creep up over 1,000 to 1,500 pretty fast, plus mm -hmm. scope, plus rings, plus bipod, etc. Though you could start for just a few hundred with the mechanics to, to gain the performance benefits. Perhaps I should also say I'm not an employee of or have any financial ties to Grey Birch. <laughs> I just have many different 22s and prefer this one over all the rest. Kelly asked for an update on the last episode, so there you go. Have a good one all. Adios, Josh V. Good letter. Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's a good update. Yeah, lots of stuff in there. Be really interested to see what the uh, issue with that original trigger was. Uh, my experience with the, I had one Timney that I saw that, uh, wouldn't reset the return oh, really? spring wasn't strong yeah. enough yet. So that one mm -hmm. wouldn't reset. Um, I don't know if that's the same issue or yeah. not, but, uh, I've seen that one before because like okay. uh, with a Ruger 1022 trigger, uh, you want a, a light trigger return spring to get a nice, that nice light trigger pull. But as soon as you go too light, it doesn't reset. Mm -hmm. and you gotta, yeah. It's kind of a pain. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that was the issue here, if it was something else. Okay. Kyle, do you want to take the next one from Anon? Sure. A customer walked into either a Cabela's or Bass Pro store in the U.S. They asked to see a handgun. They pulled a round out of their pocket, racked it in the chamber, then shot themselves. That prompter prompted, I'm going to correct there, prompted Bass Pro Cabela's to implement a policy of having a trigger lock on every gun in every store at all times. That's also why they standardized on those crappy plastic locks. Hmm. I get the frustration of not being able to try a trigger, especially since it can be such a departure from the feeling of the rest of the gun. But Bass Pro and Cabela's wants to minimize risk. Also, can Kelly say goodnight, Trevor? Next week, she hmm. says. Hmm. Next yeah. week. Next week. Yeah, I guess uh, that seems like a good reason why yeah. they wouldn't... Uh, why they wouldn't have, or they, why they would have rather have trigger locks on those things. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. Cool. Um, we have no uh, messages from Patreon, Instagram, and I think Facebook. People have been mostly quiet. Craig was mentioning that's why I like alone time at the range. It's hard to trust people's skills. 
Um, I take a really, I don't know if it's aggressive or if it's just upfront uh, attitude with, uh, with other shooters at the range. So if I see someone like mucking around, I say like, Hey, you have to be behind that lane. If there's someone down range or if, or if it's in safe and, uh, I don't know. Most people, most people listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I go to a range and there's other people there. I'm just switch right on because, you know, you watch other people and you kind of, okay, no, I'm, I'm switched on. I'm keeping an eye on, on them or. Yeah. yeah. If it's too iffy, I'll switch base. Yeah. If they're like, no, this person just doesn't care. It's like, okay. Yeah. I'm switching base. Or if it's, or if they do something serious enough, tell the range exec, let yeah. them deal with it. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to email the show, send your emails over to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Patreon supporters, we have a new Patreon, Brian M, for $5. Uh, Brian, I know you emailed our, uh, your address to us, uh, but I don't care. And I'm not going to mail you a patch and sticker because I'm going to give one to you by hand at Battle of Alberta. <laughs> you like that twist? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Mo was most concerned. He's like, "Why is he being such an asshole?" <laughs> I'm like, "Trevor's not here. Trevor's not here tonight. Why are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm like, man, that name looks familiar. I'm sure this guy's in Three Gun. I, I took a look and I'm like, yeah, he's he's at Three Gun. So you'll get it. You'll get it in person, hand delivered. That's going to get. Is he going to get any stickers? He's going to get a patch and sticker. Yep. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good. That's the deal. Patch and stick. <laughs> uh, shout outs. Mo? Uh, for me, um, it would be Steve Anderson. I follow his like dry fire uh, system and philosophy to shooting. I listen to his podcast and he's like really helped me because I, I, I'm seeing myself get it better. And it's, and it's a lot to do with like, you know, listening to him and kind of following his, his direction because I, I started off with the the Ben Steger stuff and obviously he's he's you know the you know top shooter in the world but I needed something that you know that gave me more of this than you know the tech the actual technical side so that's mm -hmm. it oh, Kyle I actually don't have a shout out this week quite weak okay. just uh, mine is to Dave from Foothills Firearms training to for uh loaning me the meme guns because i wouldn't buy this stuff if uh <laughs> on my own i wouldn't buy it but to review heck yes i will review it so thanks for uh thanks for sending me the meme guns to uh to review uh finally check us out on gunners of canada like us on facebook right now we're at 2798 likes uh, while you're over there on facebook uh give us a review over there we think that maybe it will help with people finding the show if there's reviews on there so uh, i don't know put one up there uh if it's funny we'll read it we'll, we'll probably read it even if it isn't funny we'll probably read it <laughs> uh join the ccfr uh and we will see you next week yep. see you next good week night, ellie <laughs> good night trevor oh, good night trevor yeah good night trevor yeah <laughs> So if you have any comments or questions for the show, please send an email to slamfireradio at gmail.com. Now go grab a gun and shoot something. When the talking is over, it's time to get a gun.